Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. today. I hope this day is finding you well. We have some beautiful weather in Louisiana. We had to go through hell and high water to get to it, but it was well worth it in the end. Today is Saturday, October the 29th. Yes, I'm telling you the date so you can know when I am recording this. I do remember during the last um, podcast I shared, it was a podcast by Bishop T.D. Jakes about... Um, the mystery revealed about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but honey, I was still praising and, and shouting and and uh, giving thanks to the Lord for several days. He shared that message last Wednesday. If I didn't say, for those of you who are joining for the first time, because we are at 4,000, uh, I am Dr. Kamala D. I am the host and teacher of Learning Bible Truth. And I hope you are here to hear the truth. Yes, this is episode 14. I know I said at the end of uh, Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes' message that I would probably share 14 on Saturday and 15 on Sunday. I don't think I'm going to share 15 tomorrow. Um, I waited too long today because just during the week, you know how at the end of the week, saints, that you just get tired. And uh, I wasn't going to share 14 today. I was going to wait until tomorrow. And I say, Lord, I promised that I would share 14 today. But look, I may not share 15 tomorrow. But then again, I might. But I don't want to confirm it because I am not sure. But we are going to tour Psalms, the Psalms that King David wrote. And I can guarantee you this. And I mean guarantee. After this episode. After this message, after this teaching, you will never see Psalm the same again. You will never see Psalms the same again. I don't want to give nothing away, but I want to get this truth on the road. So saints, uh, you turn into your Bibles. We will begin at Psalm 16. Yes, Psalm, not Psalms, with an S on it, in Psalm 16. And for those of you who are not aware, I typically um, read and teach from the NIV. I am uh, using the NIV today, but um, as I paraphrase through some of these Psalms moving forward throughout this episode, I will be paraphrasing from the uh, New King James NIV ESV because I have a lot of versions within my spirit. And sometimes the one that fit the original Hebrew scriptures the most are the versions that shoot out of my mouth. So um, it doesn't matter. I'm just sharing that with you because the version of the Bible that you might have, you may see a difference or, you know, a slight difference in words. Okay, but in the end, we'll be in the same place. Yes, we will. We will end up in the same place, saints. So let's get this truth on the road. Psalm 16, and I will be reading verses 8 through 11, and I'm going to paraphrase through here. But, um... If you are at Psalms 11, starting with verse 8, you will see where I am. Because as a paraphrase, you will see the scriptures that I am paraphrasing, okay? But I may not paraphrase. I'm just letting you know in case you hear me say something different. Verse 8. 
I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption or either decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hallelujah. I don't know about you saints, but that just went through my spirit. Hallelujah. Now little is said in the Old Testament of eternal life. Little is said about that. It talks about the Redeemer, but little is said about eternal life. In fact, the Sadducees or the chief priest of Jesus's day didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul, a Pharisee himself, prior to his conversion, he did believe in, res in the resurrection, but his evidence in the Hebrew scriptures was a little shaky. Now, I don't believe, I'm sorry I said his, it's just a habit because I don't believe Paul wrote um, the message to the Hebrews because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And if you look at the writing to the Hebrews, it's, it's written very eloquently. Paul was eloquent, super smart, well-educated, but all of the apostles were. So um, we don't know which apostle wrote it. We can speculate, but, you know, it doesn't matter. We shouldn't argue about it because it's, there's no salvation in arguing over who wrote Hebrews because at the end of the day, they were in line with the doctrine of the apostles. Okay? I'm sorry I had to sidetrack there, but when the Holy Spirit needs me to explain something, I will do it. Now, so let's look at Acts 23, verse 6. This is the Apostle Paul addressing the uh, Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was made up of a bunch of rabbis. They were uh, the tribunal of the high court back in the ancient days. Okay? Now, this is Acts 23, 6, and the Apostle Paul talking to them about the resurrection. He says, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Now, that reopened debate between the two sects. Now, in Psalm 16, however, we have a presentation of not only David's hope in his own resurrection from the grave, but by the leading of God's spirit and insight into the bodily resurrection of Jesus, God's holy one. Now, at the beginning of Psalm 16, David exhorts God to keep him safe. He says, oh God, for in you I take refuge. Now, ordinarily, we might think it's just David asking to be kept safe during a battle or from an assassin in his court. Now, certainly there is that element. But as we read on, we find that he is speaking about an eternal safety. Now, that's why I always tell my listeners to actually keep reading. Don't just read a verse and you run with that. If you keep reading, you will see the story. David says to the Lord in verse 2, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, I believe David is saying, Lord, I come to you having no good thing in me only that I seek refuge eternally in you. Now, David had heard and has believed the gospel. And I know none of you ever thought about that before. We learn in part. Yes, we do. We learn in part. God reveals things to uh, his teachers. Not all at once. We have to grow in this knowledge. And he starts revealing things to us. Because I've been reading Psalms over the years. And I'm talking about over 25, 26 years but I never saw these scriptures like this until the Lord led me to them to study for this episode. And he started revealing to me Jesus in Psalms. Yes, King David was writing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, so it's obvious that the Holy Spirit who spoke to David was revealing to him about the Messiah. That salvation is by faith and faith alone in the Messiah. Now, I know I'm not imagining things. Uh-uh. No, I'm not. 
all of God's ministers and teachers and evangelists and pastors should be on the same page. We all should have been um, given this revelation in Psalms by now. I mean, Jesus is throughout Psalms and the King David actually wrote about him. Never saw him. Jesus came a thousand years after and David actually was talking about the Messiah. Now, I don't think that I'm imagining this, not at all. Now, in verse 5, David says that God had made his, his lot secure. Then in verse 6, he speaks of his, del, uh, his delightful inheritance. Now, I want you to notice that it is God who, who had made David's lot secure. And no good work of David's own doing. Mm-mm. God did not make David's lot secure because of some good work he did. We all know the, the history of David. He had a good heart towards God's people. He was fair. He was righteous towards God's people. Put it this way. He did right by God's people. The people that he was in charge of, he did right by them. He was fair. But he did some evil things in the sight of the Lord, but he was very remorseful. Now, I want you to look at the word inheritance. It speaks of receiving something in the will of a relative or a friend. Now, Hebrews uh, 19 verse 17 says, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Now, in Psalm 16, 9 through 10, David confirms that the security of which he speaks looks forward to when his body is in the grave. Mm. See, this is where we lose people. But you got to remember, girl, we got to be spiritual. We can't be thinking with a carnal mind, our natural mind. We can't lean on our own understanding. We have to be spiritual. We have to take God at his word. You know, he's suborn. Yeah. You know, if God created the heavens and the earth and is now sustaining the atmosphere, you think he can't do this? My goodness, my goodness. So let me say, let me read that again. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Hallelujah. Now, David's faith, my Lord, my Lord. And, and, and I want to make sure you're, uh, I'm not jumping ahead of myself. When, and David confirms that the security of which he speaks looks forward to when his body is in the grave. Okay. David's faith wasn't just that God would let him uh, see old age and die in, in a reasonable comfort, but that he would be resurrected bodily. Yet yeah, David knew this, so you know the Holy Spirit had to reveal it to him. We never heard a, a discussion about that. Now listen, oh, we never heard David have a discussion about that with the uh, prophet Nathan or Samuel. Now David says to God in verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. God, David is admitting right here that God made, made um, known to him the path of life. Didn't Jesus say, I'm, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He is the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, who's at God's right hand? Didn't the apostle Peter talk about God sitting down at the right hand? Didn't the writer to, uh, of God and didn't the writer to the Hebrews mention that Jesus was at the right hand of God? Now, what is this path of life that David was talking about? Now, I submit to you, he was talking about the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But David know Jesus by name, did he? No, of course he didn't. David didn't know Jesus by name, but he was saved just as we are today by simply trusting in God's promises, which begins in Genesis 15, 6. Just like Abraham, just like Isaac, just like Jacob, just like King David, just like the, the prophet Daniel, the prophet Nathan, just like Isaiah, Michael, or Micah, the prophet Micah. They all believed God and it was accounted to them as righteousness. They were declared righteous because they believed God, not by following the law. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself. See, that's one of my issues. I have a problem staying on track. Oh, yeah, I have all this knowledge flowing and I try to get it all out at once. So let me <laughs> let me slow down. I just want to share it. I can't keep it to myself. Now, David must have been given some insight into what would be in the future that God's 
holy one, whom he didn't know by name, will come to the earth and die. He says in verse 10, nor will you let your holy one see decay or either corruption may be in your version. Now, David had reason, you know, within himself that God cannot die. David had reason that. Now, God doesn't have a body like, like me, David probably was saying. For what purpose would God's holy one die and yet not see decay or corruption in the grave? What purpose? Now, perhaps he then reasoned that God's holy one must take on a body like his. Yeah. Y'all know in, in uh, the last episode that I shared, I had to uh, share that why the book of Hebrews explains why Christ had to be made Lord and angels. He had to put on flesh. That's what makes him Lord and angels because angels are angelic beings that don't have flesh. He needed to feel our infirmities. He needed to think like we think. He needed to understand who we are and why we act the way we act. That was the only way he could help us. That was the only way he could die for us. That was the only way he can feel the punishment that we need because of his flesh. Now, so when I said that uh, David must have known that God's holy one would take on a body like his, he also understood that it would be resurrected from the grave. Uh-huh. Now, is it from this holy one that he will receive any eternal inheritance? Now, the answer is actually in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. I need you to understand that the New Testament confirms the Old Testament. Okay, if we are looking for answers uh, from Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, we can find them in Jesus' words or either his apostles' words. So Acts 2, 29, 32 confirms this, where Peter addressed the crowd that was before him. He says this, brother, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, meaning David's bones is still there. You know, Jesus greater than David. But listen to what Peter says. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants in his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave. Do you hear Peter prophesying? Do you hear that? Nor did his body see decay or corruption. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of that fact. Now, before I read, uh, read on, let me say this. When uh, Peter says, uh, but he was a prophet, talking about David, David was a prophet. I'm sorry, when I was teaching uh, the, from the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel, because I did both. 2 Samuel, I said that David was not a prophet, and I said it several times, but he was. He operated in two of the three offices. He was not a priest. He was king and a prophet, but his uh, him being a prophet was not manifested really until after Samuel had died and, and after Nathan had spoken to him because um, David would not have been able to write Psalms. David was talking about future events to happen, so that made him a prophet. Yeah, prophets talk about future events. We don't have those kinds of prophets today. Don't let nobody fool you. If you are in the office of a prophet or the gift of a prophet, which um, the Apostle Paul lists, uh, as gifts in the church, we are prophesying scriptures that are already written. Yeah, we you may have a better insight or a more in-depth insight of those scriptures, but it's already written. You can't come to me with no new gospel. There is no new gospel. Okay, now let me read the last um, verses 31 and 32 again. Seeing, oh, verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave. This is uh, the apostle Peter talking about King David talk, saying this in Psalms, nor did his body see decay. Uh, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of that fact. Peter along with all the disciples and 500 more people saw Christ uh, ascend unto heaven. So they knew that he was resurrected. And there's a difference between being resurrected and being raised from the grave. Jesus wasn't raised from the grave. He was resurrected. When you are resurrected, you're not going to die anymore. If you are raised from the grave, 
like Lazarus, Lazarus still ended up dying. Yeah, he still ended up dying. You will still die if you are raised from the grave, but if you are resurrected, you will not die again. Only Jesus was resurrected. And you can't say the prophet Elijah was resurrected because God never let him die. Uh, Elijah was walking with his protege, Elisha, and we talked about that in, in a previous episode, and God took him. He just took him on up to heaven in a whirlwind. He never saw death. So let's move on over to Psalms 22, okay? I hope this is not just getting too deep for you. I hope you just ask God to give you wisdom, which he freely does, and allow the Holy Spirit to give you revelation as I give you these scriptures, okay? Remember I said I don't care um, how I explain them. It's, it's my responsibility not to complicate the scriptures, and it's God's um, responsibility through the Holy Spirit to give you the understanding or the revelation of the scriptures. So let's look at Psalms 22. Verses 14 through 18. I am poured out like water. This is uh, King David, his, his writings in Psalms. I am pulled out like water and all my bones are out of joint. David is not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a, a, a potsherd. Now that's what um is said in the um new, the NIV a potsherd but it actually means a, a ceramic pot okay and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death dogs have surrounded me a band of evil men has encircled me they have pierced my hands and my feet so we know right here king david is talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Especially when he says, um, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. My Lord, my Lord, Jesus, no, he suffered for us. So we can't abandon him. We can't turn our backs on the Lord Jesus Christ. For him to go through all that so that we can have eternal life? I know I'm not. Mm -mm. Now the 22nd Psalm begins with what will ultimately be Jesus' words on the cross as he gives his life for the body of Christ, his church. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now Psalms 22 verse 1, and if you cross-reference it with Matthew 27, 46, you will understand that King David was talking about the Messiah. Now, he is calling attention to the fact that this song, Jesus now, was calling attention to the fact while he was on the cross, that this song written by King David, some 1,000 years before now, before Jesus went to the cross, speaks so clearly of the death he would suffer. My Lord. My Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus' desperate cry to his father is, re is in real time. As we would say today, the father had turned his face away from his son as Jesus took on our sins on his body. He took all our sins on his body, and God cannot look upon sin, so he had to turn away from, from Christ. He had to do it. Now, no other psalm carries with it the sheer number of references to Jesus's life on earth as does this one. This is the main one. Okay. Now, excuse me. I've counted at least 10. Yeah. Now crucifixion as a means of capital punishment would not appear on the world scene for about 500 years after David lived. Okay. Yeah, that's when crucifixion showed up on the scene. Forgive me, saints, I'm, I am adjusting my, my seat. Now, Darius the Great is said to have used crucifixion in about 519 B.C. So how did David describe its torment so accurately? How? It will be impossible for David to have described the torment that Jesus was going to endure so accurately without the Holy Spirit telling him. There's no way David could have known. There's no way. None of the prophets, it's, it's not recorded that any of the prophets gave David this revelation. It had to be the Holy Spirit. 
We can read in, in Psalms where God is talking to David. We can read in, in Samuel, you know, um, 2 Samuel when God actually spoke to David. So it had to be the Holy Spirit speaking to David. Now let's look at these prophecies a little closer. We're going to look at it one by one in these scriptures. Now you'll need to open your Bibles if you haven't already, because I know they have a lot of people since we are not face to face saying, well, I'm going to listen and just write down some scriptures and just read them later. But let me listen to the message. You know, <laughs> That's fine too, but I want you to open up your Bibles. Let's look at verse two. It speaks of, let me drink a little water. Verse two speaks of Jesus the night before his death crying out to his father that the cup of his impending death be taken from him. And that's in Matthew 26, 34 through uh, 47. Now in verse 6, we, we read that Jesus will be rejected and despised by the same people he came to earth to save. And that's in Luke 23, verses 21 through 24. Now the people and the Romans had mocked Jesus. Matthew 27, um, verses 39 through 40. Uh, this was a prediction that is stated in verse 7 of our um, scriptures in Psalms. And in verse 8, the words that Jesus' executioners would say are recorded. It says this, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Matthew 27, 43. Okay, we can cross-reference um, Psalms 22 with uh, Matthew 27, 43. Now, Psalms 22, 11 says, there is no one to help. In the same way we read in Mark 14, 50, that Jesus' disciples had previously deserted him. In Psalms 22, 12, and 13, it says of Jesus being surrounded by the Romans and Jews who gathered around the cross to watch the spectacle. They were taunting him and mocking the Savior. Boy, I tell you, Jesus went through hell on earth and when he went in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. My goodness. Just for us. Now, the horrible torture of crucifixion is captured by uh, verse 13 through 16 of our uh, uh, scriptures and Psalms. Now, the Gospels describe the agony Jesus suffered that corresponded with those verses. Now, in John 20, 25, we learn of the nails that were driven into the hands and the feet of our Lord and Savior. In John 19, 28, Jesus says this, I am thirsty. Now, I want you to compare his thirst with verse 15. Now, verse 14 and 17 of our scriptures in Psalms 22 describe perfectly what crucifixion did to the human body. Hanging there naked, yes, our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer was hanging on the cross naked. His testicles and his penis was exposed to the people who were mocking him and taunting him. The lungs were suffocating by the, by the downward pull of the body's own weight. That's what Jesus suffered for us. Now, verse 17 says this, I can count all my bones. Now, none of Jesus's bones were broken, just as uh, the Apostle John wrote in um, John 19, 32 and 33. Now, again, people stared and gloated over him as uh, verse 17 reiterates. Verse 18 is particularly chilling. It says, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's in John 19, um, 23 and 24. Now, this says, Let's not tear Jesus' garment. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. The soldiers had free will and yet God's eternal decree was fulfilled by them. My Lord, my Lord. Now we're comparing Psalms with uh, the New Testament and you see how we are finding Jesus in these scriptures. Now, the rest of Psalm 22 is more upbeat, and it speaks of the salvation that awaits those who put their trust in the crucified one. Now, verse 22 is quoted in Hebrews 2.12. It says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Now, surely, as verse 24 says, the father has not hidden his face from him, 
but has listened to his cry for help. Finally, the last verse of Psalm 22 speak wonderfully of Jesus. It says posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Hallelujah. Am I telling you about the Lord today? We are part of that future generation. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. My Lord, my Lord. Now trot on over there to Psalms 23. Psalms 23, a Psalm of King David. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's what the NIV says, but the King James and the New King James says still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows or either runneth over. Surely goodness and love or goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. One of the most famous and most, I can tell you, fulfilling scriptures, uh, writings of King David. Everyone knows the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. Who you think David was talking about? He's talking about the anointed one. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the son of God. He's talking about the lamb of God. He's talking about the Christ. He's talking about Jesus. Jehovah has become our salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. That's who King David is talking about. Now, in contrast to Psalm 22, Psalm 23 contains no prophecies that were specifically fulfilled in Jesus's life. Nevertheless, now, the psalm points to Jesus like, like no other psalm. I must say that it points to him like perhaps no other psalm. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. We need to know that. And this beloved awesome song is the story of our relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, as a growing Christian, I found that our wonderful shepherd is real. Now, this psalm helped me obtain peace at night, okay, or when I'm uh, going through a storm. But more importantly, it helped me grow in Christ. Now, here's a verse-by-verse -verse look at this awesome song. Now, before we go on a verse-by-verse um, look about this particular psalm, let me tell you something. For those of you who don't know, I, this year I had a stroke. I didn't have no slight stroke. I had a full one. And let me tell you, instead of me panicking, I was home by myself. I went straight to the scriptures. I said, Lord, I know I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I said, but I know you are with me. I said, I also um, started quoting uh, Matthew 28. I was saying, Lord, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. Oh, that's what you said. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. And I started quoting that in a soft voice. And I know it was the Holy Spirit said, you're going to be okay. And I never looked back then. I, I was never scared. I had the use of my right hand and arm. I reached on the table, got my cell phone. And with one hand and two fingers, I dialed 911 and got EMS here along with law enforcement. And they had to take my door off the hinges to get in because I couldn't get up. And if you saw me today, you wouldn't know any of this happened to me. That's my testimony. God is a healer. Yes, he is. He stays true to his word. His word never returns to him void. We got to speak it back to him, saints. Yes, we do. I stand before you today, not paralyzed at all. Have full use of my left and right side. And as you can hear, my speech is still intact. Hallelujah. Praise God. All honor and glory goes to the Lord, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By his stripes, I was healed. Oh, I was, I, look, I was reciting all them scriptures. And I am here today because of that. My faith in God's ability to heal. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Now let's look at these scriptures verse by verse. Psalm 23. Now when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, God is not an um, unknowable or, or he is not unreachable. He is not untouchable. He is a real person who came in the body of the Lord or the person of Jesus the Christ. Now, and, and we are in a real relationship with him. Okay. He is not someone who is, is um, un, unattainable. We can touch him. Yes, we can. Hallelujah. Now, I shall not want, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 4.19, and my God will meet or supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Look how we are comparing and confirming through the New Testament these scriptures or these writings that King David wrote down, referring to our Lord and Savior Jesus. Look, look how we are, are comparing these scriptures, confirming that King David was writing about Jesus. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, just as I was given uh, peace and healing in my time of trouble, also, Jesus gives us rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Yes, he does. He leads uh, me beside still waters or either quiet waters, depending on which version you have. Now, still waters are peaceful places. Yes, they are. Jesus uh, refreshes us with his perfect peace. John 14, 27 tells us. Now, when the psalmist wrote, he restores my soul, Jesus heals all of our infirmities and gives us what we really need eternal healing from sin and guilt in Matthew 8:17 compare those scriptures Matthew 8:17 now he guides me in the paths of righteousness Jesus's spirit it guides us on solid straight paths away from sin and worldly sorrow we oh saints i hope this is uh, just is sinking into your spirit Hallelujah. Renewing your mind with God's word so that you can even think differently. Because as a man think it, so is he. So you have to start thinking God's words in your life so that you can manifest this in your actions. Okay. Now for his namesakes, when the psalmist wrote, our life's purpose is to glorify God. We have to glorify the name of God. Now he gives us uh, our lives, our life's purpose in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus, he proves our faith in trials that purifies us. 1 Peter 4, 12, 13. Okay. I will fear no evil. Now Jesus commanded, fear not more times than any other command in the Bible. Now why? Because he loves us and, and is in complete control of our circumstances. I don't care how bad your circumstances are. Jesus can turn it around. I'm a living witness. He can turn it around. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I have never had a starving day. Has always been able to eat. Have always been able to pay my bills. Even if I fell behind, he made a way for me to pay him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Write down Romans chapter 8 verses 28 and 29 and read that. Now when the psalmist says, for you are with me. Jesus protects us always. God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13 and 5. I held on to that scripture for dear life when I was having my stroke. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, when we go astray, God disciplines us. He disciplines us with his word. Why? Because he loves us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Write that down and read that. His rod and staff also speak of his willingness to shield our lives from the damage of our enemies. And he gives us comfort with his rod and staff. Now, when the psalmist wrote, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, Jesus gives us hope in the face of great difficulty and loss. He feeds us even as those who oppose us are getting near and closer to us to try to harm us. Hallelujah. You anoint my head with oil. Now, anointing speaks of consecration to the Lord and also of his healing power. Write down 2 Corinthians uh, verse 1 um, and no, chapter 1 and verse 21. And you can cross reference that with Mark 6, 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and Mark chapter 6, verse 13. 
Now, when the psalmist wrote, my cup overflows. Now, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly or either have it to the fullest. My Lord, my Lord. Now, when the psalmist says, surely goodness and love or mercy, King, that's King James Version, will follow me all the days of my life. We who are in Christ are greatly blessed by his grace to us. We, if in order for us to receive these blessings, saints, we got to pull it down by faith and by speaking God's word to him so that he can send these blessings down. They don't just fall. They don't just fall. And don't look at Satan, the people who are out there, you think being blessed. Baby, those riches are temporary. All these rappers who they're not living for God. They're not living for Christ. And they get on stage at these award shows thinking, oh, yeah, I want to thank God. They don't even know who God is. Trust what I tell you. They're not living for God. They're not working for God. They got all these riches that they're getting high as a kite. They, they still breaking the law. They still stealing. Some of them are still selling dope and have money. Never change their mindset. Okay, the reason you claim you were selling dope is because you needed to feed your family. Now you're making millions off of rapping. Why are you still selling dope? Getting caught and going to jail. Unbelievable. I didn't want to sidetrack, but you look, when it fits, if the shoe fit, I got to stick it there, saints. I, I, I got to stick it there. Now, I was talking about the blessings of God's people, you know, because God don't look at Satan people being blessed. That's temporary. We need to focus on the blessings that God has for us. Now, what the psalmist said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we are firmly secure in the arms of our wonderful shepherd. And, and that's in Matthew 18, um, 12 and 13. Now, secure not just for this life. Okay. We are not, let me say that again, secured just for this life, but for all eternity. And that alone should have you shouting. Uh-huh. Now let's let's just trollop over there to Psalms 41. Oh, I guess you say that's a big leap. Yeah, I picked out some of the Psalms that I wanted to share that we can clearly see our Lord Jesus. Psalms 41, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Whenever one comes to see me, he speaks falsely. While his heart gathers slander, then he goes out and spreads it abroad. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Saying there ain't going to be no resurrection, okay? Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Who is King David talking about? Okay, verse 10. But you, O Lord, have mercy on me. Raise me up that I may repay them. Ooh, chilling, just chilling. Now, on the evening before he was to go to the cross, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room for what we know as the Last Supper. Now, before they sat down to eat, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, in that context, we read these words in John chapter 13, verse, beginning at verse 16. Let me see. I'll tell you. Um, I don't know how many verses I'm going to read, but just follow me. Uh, beginning at verse 16. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. Oh, uh oh, we're getting deep now. Jesus said, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now you compare that with, with, uh, to what King David said. I'm not finished. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he, he who the Messiah. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. I tell you the truth. 
one of you is going to betray me. I mean, his spirit was vexed. That was that flesh. Oh my God. In his spirit, he knew he was going to be betrayed. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant or which of them he was talking about. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, my Lord. Psalm 41 is a Psalm of David. We got to remember that it ends the first division of Psalms and is the third Psalm that begins with a benediction. Now here, the benediction is blessed is he who has regard for the weak. I want you to see um, Psalms 1 verse 1 and um, 32 verse 1. Now, David also had a close friend who raised up his heel against him. Well, actually, it was Absalom who was closer than a friend. He was David's son. And he tried to overthrow his father's reign in Israel in 2 Samuel 13. Now, I don't know if you know the story. I'm not going to labor too long on it, but Absalom, I was kind of on his side. <laughs> David's sons were gorgeous. But if you got to know the story, saints. Read um, 2 Samuel or go to my podcast and look for um, 2 Samuel. I read the entire book of 2 Samuel, and it tells the story of David's son, Absalom. He was upset with his father because his brother, I forgot the, his name. It's, it's, it's not on my mind right now. His other brother had raped their sister, Tamar. She was 15 years old. He had raped her. He was in love with his sister and he ended up raping her. And she was trying to fight him off. But of course, he overpowered her. So Absalom found out about it. He was enraged and outraged. And he went and told his daddy, King David. And David, although he was upset, he didn't hold his son accountable. So after that, Absalom was against his father. Yeah, Absalom was against his father. So we, you know, when Jesus said that um, a friend that was close was going to betray him, someone he shared his bread with had lifted up his heel against him. Well, when David said it, David was referring, referring to his son. Yeah, his son tried to overthrow the reign of his father. Mm-hmm. So um, we have to think about that King David was a type of the anti-type to come, which was Jesus. Now, Judas is one of the most perplexing um, characters in scripture. Now, as he did the rest of his disciples, Jesus called Judas to follow him, Matthew 10, 1 and 4. Now, they have some people that ask, was Judas actually saved? And then later proved himself a traitor. Yeah, we're we going to talk about that because I think it, 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 it bears um, reading it bears sharing and I need to give you the revelation because I have, you know, my brothers in Christ, some ministers, teachers, we, we have discussed it before. One literally say he don't know if Jesus, uh, not Jesus, but um, Judas was saved or not because in the end, Judas was remorseful. But now the Bible says the one that betrayed Jesus, you know, it was going to be horrible for him. And I just paraphrase right there. It was going to be horrible for him. And uh, you got to remember when Jesus said, haven't I chosen you to 12 and one of you is a devil? So everybody in the church ain't at the church or everybody at the church ain't actually in the body of Christ here. Just because people show up, uh-huh, Judas was a thief and everything else. He was never saved. Now, could it be possible for any saint of God to lose their salvation once they were truly converted? No, they cannot. Now, Jesus said in John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And, and that's just it. You cannot lose your salvation. You can forfeit it. And there's scripture that support what I just said. But God will never throw you out of the body of Christ. If you leave, you're leaving on your own. Hallelujah. Now, the answer is that Judas was called to be a disciple. But Jesus knew all along who he really was and what he would do. Because Jesus knew the heart of all men. He knew their thoughts and he knew their heart. Judas was never effectually called, nor was he converted. Judas acted on his own sinful, unconverted will, just as many of us do. We are called, you know, we who are called to be disciples today of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet refute the truth of the word of God. It's happening in these denominations, still arguing over whether or not people speak in tongues. Unbelievable. That doesn't have nothing to do with salvation. Now, even though God knew from all eternity that Judas would sin in the way he did, God is not responsible for Judas's sin. He knew it, 
Yeah, he knew it would happen. Now, um, I was going to quote something from um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, but I, I just, for the sake of time, I, I decided to skip that. Now, in other words, God isn't the author of sin. He's not responsible for it in any way, shape, or form. Judas was responsible for his own actions, just like you and I are. We are responsible for what we do. And he acted according to his own sinful will. And yet, God ordained and knew that it would happen because it should act that way or Judas was supposed to act that way from all eternity. Now, how does this work? It is a profound mystery, I would say, but not a contradiction. Not theologically speaking. The mystery is called the doctrine of concurrence. Okay. It is called the doctrine of concurrence. It is God is suborn but does not violate man's free will in causing him to sin. Because here's the thing. If God controlled our every movement, there would be no such thing as judgment. We, we're not dealing with an, with an insane God. We are not saints. We are dealing with a very sane God, a highly intelligent God who is sustaining the universe as we speak. And man was made with free will. So if we sin, it's because we are choosing to sin. Okay, Judas was never saved. Now, I will say, as one of my favorite ministers of the gospel, Dr. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, he used to say on his radio program, I believe in the security of believers, but I also believe in the insecurity of make-believers. Judas was a make-believer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's close this out with Psalms 45. Go on over to uh, Psalms 45, and I will be reading verses 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter, which means a rod, of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. My Lord. Now the words I just read are reiterated by the writer to the Hebrews, whom we don't know who it is. In Hebrews 1 verses 6 through 9, he contrasts Jesus with angels, arguing that Jesus is much higher than angelic beings in his stature. He says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. His servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. My Lord. You see how that compares to Psalms 45, 6, and 7? My Lord. Now, that, that is confirming that King David was talking about our Savior. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to notice, he says, but about the Son. Okay. And then quotes our subject verse. There can be no doubt that the New Testament writer saw Jesus as the subject of Psalm 45. Or let me say the 45th Psalm. Okay, now let's notice this first, that the son is called God with a capital G. Jesus is not only a man, he is the God man. Jesus reigns from his throne and his is an eternal, everlasting kingdom. The scepter, which is also known as a rod, like I said a few seconds ago, of Jesus's divine kingship is righteousness or uprightness. Now, what is righteousness? Now, you will remember the, the vast gap that separates the righteous from the wicked in Psalms 1. Now we delve into the meaning of those words. Let's look at it closely. Someone might say righteousness means following God's law or righteousness is living in a manner that is just and, and, just and, and merciful and humble in the sight of God. Nah, mm -mm, uh-uh. Those would be reasonable answers, I might say. Now, after all, in Micah 6, 8, it says this, because somebody who's listening may know of Micah 6, 8. But listen, uh, Micah says this in his words. 
He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But I believe, and I also know because the Holy Spirit, I trust him speaking to me. Those answers fall short of the mark. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to do good works after salvation, but no one in the Old Testament was ever saved by keeping the law. Y'all need to understand that. The law was temporary. No one was ever saved by the law. You have to remember our heroes of faith, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, King David, the prophet Samuel, the prophet Daniel, Isaiah, they were all declared righteous in the sight of God because they believed God. You have to remember Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or either accredited to him for righteousness. King David was saved in his and under the uh, Davidic um, covenant, meaning that God will establish his throne forever through the lineage of David. That's the Davidic covenant. It's because David believed God. Had nothing to do with keeping the law. David was under the laws of uh, um, Moses. He, but he didn't have to keep him to be saved. All he had to do was believe God. Those laws were given to the children of Israel. They weren't given to anybody else. They were given to the children of Israel. Okay? So we need to understand this. Now, I want you to think about any righteousness that you or I have is ours only as we are in Christ in relationship to him as his sheep. And you can write down Matthew chapter 5 and read verses 17 through 20 or keep reading. Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Keep that in my underline, underline that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. How many of you know that when you fulfill something, that's it? You don't have to go no further. When it's fulfilled, it's over. How many of you know that? Then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, Jesus said this while he was still walking the earth in the flesh. Everything was accomplished on the uh, cross. If you can remember or recall, go through the Gospels and read at the end. Jesus said it is finished before he gave up the spirit or gave up the ghost. Yeah, he said it is finished. He was talking about the law. Uh -huh. Until everything was accomplished, everything was accomplished at the cross. Hallelujah. Rightly divide these scriptures. Okay, now let me keep reading. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was thought to be by their own external observance of over 600 specific prohibitions which they had gleaned from the scriptures and but as Paul says in Romans chapter 9 verse 32 Israel pursued righteousness not by faith but but as if it were by works talking about works of the of the law they stumbled over the stumbling block that stumbling block is Jesus that's why they stumbled they didn't know about the coming of the Messiah coming to die for the sins of man. I've said this over and over to get people. See, these Jews, they still waiting on the, the Messiah to come the first time. Jesus then came here over 2,000 years ago. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to come twice. They was looking for him to come to set up and establish his kingdom forever and put them on top. Put Well, put them back on top. So they still waiting for the Messiah over there they were <laughs> to come the first time. No, he's already come. But they didn't know these scriptures. And I need to read that again. Romans um, 9.32. Uh, the Apostle Paul. Because he was always, even though he was our Apostle. Apostle to the Gentiles or Greeks. Anyone who is not a Jew. He also talked to his brothers. Because Paul was a Jew. Yeah, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. He was a Roman soldier. He says, Israel pursued righteousness. Not by faith. But as if it were by works. That works is of the law. They stumbled over the stumbling block. You can stumble not knowing these scriptures. People who creating and following all these different religions and denominations that are not putting Jesus at the forefront of their sermons every week. Um, they are stumbling over that stumbling block. Jesus. Now Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 that it is he who will fulfill the law and the prophets. 
That's what Jesus said. Now, when he says law and prophets here, he's speaking of the entire Old Testament. He came not only to fulfill the entire Old Testament by keeping all its requirements perfectly, I might add, and fulfilling its portraits of him perfectly, I might also add. Jesus also fulfilled the law for us, the body of Christ, his church. He lived, he died, he rose again for his church, for the body of Christ, so that we, you and I, may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10 need to be embedded in your heart. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly or to the fullest, depending on the uh, version you have. Jesus is the righteousness of the Old Testament. That's who, it, that's who the law is. The law of the Old Testament, all 613 of them, is Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Not only by trust in what Jesus has done for us, Coming to him in childlike faith, that is how we will be clothed in the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. We, but I want you to, to, to listen to how I said this. Only by trust in what Jesus done. You notice I didn't say only by trust in Jesus. No, by trust in what he did, the works he did on the cross. And him, when he walked this earth 33 years, kept the entire laws of Moses. We have to have faith in what he did. That is when we will be clothed in God's righteousness. His righteousness is Jesus. We will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ as long as we believe in what he did. Hallelujah. Now, our subject scriptures, it concludes by saying that King Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Now, I cannot help but uh, conclude this episode with these words from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or either perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My Lord, my Lord, saints, um, that's the end of this episode. And I tell you this, you need to play it for family and friends who really don't know Christ. And we, you know, a lot of these denominations stay in the Old Testament, but they're not telling you about Jesus. They are speaking judgment in the from the pulpit to the people in the pews when they should be telling you about the righteousness of Christ and what he did for us so that we can live a righteous life. We can't do it without him because when we do something wrong, God sees Christ or we would have been consumed. It is because of God's grace. We are not consumed today. Hallelujah. He didn't have to wake us up this morning. My oldest sister, Cynthia, God bless her. Love you, sis. She sent a, a, a scripture. She sent us scriptures every day. If she don't send them, I would, or maybe baby sister Carol. But it had to do with being grateful that God woke us up this morning. I said, absolutely, sis, because he didn't have to. It is by his grace we were not consumed. Now, for those of you who do not know our Messiah, I am extending that invitation right now. Okay? You go and get your family and friends. And you need to tell them they need to come. Come right now. I don't care where you are. You could be in the bathroom, in the tub, in the shower, on the toilet. Yes. And be saved right there. You don't have to jump through no hoops. You don't have to do no backflips. You, you don't have to perform rituals. You don't have to sit in a chair with a man on the other side of a curtain confessing sins. We don't confess sins to be saved. Us disciples, us saved people confess our sins because we are when we are wrong and we sin against God, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus, the Apostle John says. And he is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness after salvation. We are saved only once, saints. And you only have to say this prayer once. Romans 10, 9 and 10, saints, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that thou shall be saved. So all you have to do is say this prayer with me, saints. Come on. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Your life can end today. But 
I tell you this, once you are saved, once you are ushered into the body of Christ, you are saved forever. You are saved eternally. We will spend eternity with God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. My Lord, Father God, I am confessing right now that Jesus is your son. He is the Christ. And because I am confessing this, I know he is Lord. And I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead and he is seated at your right hand. And your word says that if I say that, I'm saved. And guess what, saints? You are saved if you confess it and you believe it in your heart. You can't do one without the other. You have to confess Jesus is Lord and you have to believe it. And you have to also believe that he is alive. Because if our Messiah is not alive, we are just another religion. And religion has never saved anybody. It didn't save anybody in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. As we continue to tour the Old Testament, finding Jesus in the scriptures, I hope that you are learning that you can grow in faith. You are feeling more secure in Christ. And you know that no man can unsave you. Uh-uh. Jesus said, no man can pluck you out of my hands. No man can pluck you out of my father's hands. I and my father are one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, saints. Now, I hope you were blessed by this message. More to come. We will continue in the book of Psalms in episode 15. Not sure if I will record it tomorrow. If I don't record it tomorrow, it'll probably be one day next week. But we have six more episodes, saints. Yes, and we will conclude this epic series. So until next time, walk in love. I don't care. Don't engage in the hate you see out there. Walk in love. Be a light to the world. And treat everyone with compassion, dignity, and respect. So I want you guys to peace out. Love you. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to hit the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 14, the apostle Paul says, "In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That is the English Standard Version. God will give you a return on your gift of love. As long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love continue to walk with jesus my saints i thank you for tuning in and i hope to see you next time